Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Welcome. You have found your way to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. I'll tell you what, I started this podcast almost seven years ago with the intent of doing 50 interviews just so I could get access to cool people who were making waves in business and that I could learn something. Now, seven years later and over 650 interviews, it's just not going to end anytime soon. I have the opportunity to interview really cool people who are shaking up things in their industry. And today is going to be one of those episodes. But before I get started, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership teams. Little full disclosure, I actually work for Stanton Chase, and they are an awesome, awesome company to be a part of. All right, so today I have another guest. If you're a regular listener, you know that I've interviewed a couple of people who I met at the San Diego Angel Conference. So this was a conference where seven companies were competing to get uh, funding, uh, angel funding, and uh, five of the companies actually got funded, and I made the offer to all of them to be on the show. We're working our way through them, but today... Today, we have the winner of the $200,000 of funding, the grand prize from the San Diego Angel Conference, the third one that they've done. Uh, I have her with us today, and it's really, really exciting. I have Pradnya Desh, and she is the CEO of Advocate. And what she does is she runs a conversation-driven legal intake and drafting company for large legal departments. So think of like the big companies. They've all got their legal departments. She helps them do their work better and more affordably. What's interesting is she used to be a former U.S. diplomat, and she actually spent time at the World Trade Organization in Geneva. And then she also, after having been you know, in the world of public policy, decided... I have to like understand business too. I don't want to just be a public policy person my whole life. So she founded her own law firm. Uh, she had a law degree and she decided I'm going to do that. And when she got in, she discovered that a lot of things in the legal world were broken and she wanted to fix them. And that's what led to founding Advocate. Now, here's a little interesting thing that some of you know about me. I spent five years of my life as the director of marketing for Austin and Dallas for two, not just one, two AmLaw 100, which is the largest 100 law firms in America, for two AmLaw 100 firms doing marketing and business development in the market. So I know a lot about how broken the legal industry can be, and I want to learn about Advocat and how they're helping fix it. So, Pradnya, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you, Tom. I'm really glad to be here. Well, first of all, how cool that you worked in Geneva as a U.S. representative at the World Trade Organization. Just just tell us something interesting about having that job. Oh, I loved it. I loved to be able to make a difference and, and know that when I was saying something, it was being heard all over the world. And at the time, we um, in the United States were really working very hard to spread prosperity all over the world. And so the policies that I was told to champion and the talking points that I were given was given was all about that. And it just it felt really good to be making a difference. 
Nice. But then one day you said, you know what? I got, I got to get into business. You started a law firm. You discovered some broken issues and then you founded Advocat. What led you to say, I'm going to start this company? You know, it was interesting. There was one particular company that I, I can point to as the reason that I decided that I had to go out and fix this problem. There were two people who had previously been army sergeants. Um, these two women, they were amazing um, women who had saved up their money the entire time that they were in the army and had decided to that they wanted to launch, of all things, an orga- organic cosmetics company when they were finished. And so they had all these great ideas and all these formulas, and they they did they they did that right right um right when they um, they had um, left the army and had um, just started their company. And so they came to me as an attorney and said, right, "Can you help us?" And of course, um, so I gave them a quote for how much it costs to start the company. And how much it costs to do all the regulatory work for cosmetics. And it was a lot, which because it would have taken my attorneys um, a lot of hours to do the work. It wasn't that I thought that it was overpriced. It was that's how long it took. And so they said yes to the starting of the company part and no to the regulatory work. And with that, um, which I felt that I actually, so as an attorney, I just, I felt that um, in my stomach because I was really worried about them. And what I worried would happen is exactly what happened about eight months later. They were shut down by the FDA because they didn't have the proper approvals. And so all these dreams that they had for so many years were crushed because legal services are too expensive. So you decided to start Advocate. Let's tell us a little bit more about about what the company does and, and what you hope to accomplish with it. So the company is conversation-driven, well-researched legal documents. So essentially what happens is a person talks to the system. Somebody who's not an attorney talks to the system. And well-researched legal documents come out ready for an attorney to just review and approve. Wow. So we've actually automated some of what lawyers would spend hours hours and hours doing. We have done that. Nice. we have it's and also have turned it into a conversation because really when you need expert advice, what you need is to talk to somebody. And so that's very natural for people. And that's why we've done the workflow that we've done. So how long ago did you found the company? About a year and a half ago. Right. So, so it's right. still pretty new. Very new. And so we yeah, have actually a little less than a year and a half ago. The company really got going in January 2020. Oh, which, just right in time for a global pandemic. Exactly. Exactly. I didn't plan it that way, but that's how it worked. So I was just getting going, getting getting the people on board, tr- uh, trying to raise a funding round. At the time, they say you're never supposed to say the words trying to raise a funding round. But in the pandemic, I think that we should make an exception to that. <laughs> So what's interesting to me is it must have been a crazy year to try and raise money for a startup. And I know that you've you know gotten money from a lot of different sources, but let's talk a little bit about the San Diego Angel Conference because your company is based in Seattle. You live in Seattle. You don't live in San Diego. How did you stumble upon uh, the San Diego Angel Conference and what was that whole process like? Because they started, I forget the number, but I think it was like 125 companies applied. They narrowed that down to 50. I actually participated because I was going to be the master of ceremonies for the main event. I participated in many of their meetings over like a three month period and they narrowed it down to, to one number, then down to 30, then down to like, you know, 12. And then they narrowed it down to the seven. What was it like going through that process and how did you find them? 
So I found them because a group called Ad Astra Ventures, it's based in San Diego, found me. They did this series of events in different parts of the country, and it was a fast pitch event, which meant we had 60 seconds to say all there was about our company and to try to win a competition. And that was an amazing experience because it, well, it allowed me to be able to say all a whole lot in 60 seconds, not by talking fast, but just distilling it down, distilling what was the most important points about the company. Uh, And so we did that. And that's how I got connected to San Diego and found a really rich and vibrant entrepreneurial committee, community rather there, um, and was just really blown away by how how engaged the investors were, how helpful the community was. And then also just um, I found that I really, I really like the city and and, um, like the group of people. So it's interesting. I want to talk about the fast pitch for a minute, because to be able to boil your message down, especially for a founder who is doing so many things, you're making waves, you're shaking up an entire industry. Say that in 60 seconds. So the process of narrowing that down is probably important for all entrepreneurs because I talk to many people and when I ask them what they do, hour and a half later, I still have no idea. So what was the process of going through that fast pitch like for you just as an individual? Yeah, so I had a pitch that I was making that frankly wasn't working. Maybe it was because it was early pandemic or for whatever reason, it was 20 minutes long. And so I would imagine just like you, after 20 minutes, people who heard that didn't remember anything. And so what I did was boiled it down to a single story. And that was the story that I just told you about the the two army sergeants, because um, um, they they just really so they encapsulate the why I do what I do, but also they explain the what. And so I thought that you can't say everything. You can't say total addressable market. You can't say who your customers are. You can't say what our technology does, which in 20 minutes I do say, and people's eyes glaze over. Um, but you can say what's what's the most important thing to take away from from a company. And that's, I, I feel like that was really formative in being able to raise, to successfully raise a funding round. Sure. That's something actually right after the angel conference we just did, by the way. So let's talk about the angel conference. And then I want to hear about the rest of your funding and finishing the round. So what was it like to be named the winner, to win the $200,000 investment? You know, it's funny when you say named the winner, because I actually felt like it was a very community event. The group of finalists formed a really close friendship. And I I, I value that uh, to this day and hopefully for a long time is that particularly a group of the female founders actually formed a group um, that meets every month and we just address each other. We, we just bring up whatever is going on in our companies and talk about it. And I love it. So the process of being named the winner, just because I'm an attorney and I feel like I need to go back to your question, <laughs> is what I do, um, is was just, it was in the group. I just felt like we were all rooting for each other and rooting for the group in general. So it was, I mean, it was an amazing experience. I felt, um, I felt so humbled. I felt so fortunate to be named the winner, but also in my acceptance speech, I felt it was really important to call out the other founders to hopefully also raise investment for them because all of the group was, were important, were companies that are doing important work to make the world a better place. Well, I thought all seven companies were awesome. That's why I've invited everybody to to come here on the show. And it was fun because there was a cocktail party the night before. So I got to meet many of you. And then I got to introduce everybody uh, as the master of ceremonies. And then uh, we handed you the big check. 
And they took a picture of me handing you the big check. And then that picture has been used all over the angel funding world and all the articles that have been written. And I actually had a friend unrelated to the San Diego Angel Conference, but who is involved with angel funding in another part of the country. Tell me, is this you? And it's one of those emails where it says, is this you in the picture? And you think, oh, don't click on that. But, <laughs> right? but, but then the picture was there and it was like, yeah, that actually is me. That's right. Yes, I was I was handing and you got to love a big check, right? You got to love a five foot long check. I I assume the money actually came through like a direct deposit, though. I don't think that it did. I didn't actually try to physically take that to a bank, although I really very seriously considered taking it on the plane with me. But I couldn't imagine myself walking through an airport with a a massive check that said $200,000 and then, I don't know, getting a seat (laughs) for it or something. (laughs) Yeah, There's something about that that would be cool. And then there's something right. about it that would just say, like, rob this woman. I don't know. It's- exactly. Like, do they know I'm a startup founder? So I don't, <laughs> like, I don't have anything on me. So the whole funding process that you've been through, you've now wrapped up your, your round and all that. What was that like as a first-time founder? It was stressful and exciting. Because, so starting to raise during a pa- the pandemic, and I know it's not, the pandemic's not over, CDC, I, I'm listening, um, but um, that I know it's, uh, I mean, it was, it was, I didn't know what to expect. And in the early stages, it didn't, it didn't go well at all, but I think it didn't go well at all because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Meaning that how do you connect with investors? How do you make sure your message is as crystallized as possible. And during that entire time, the company is getting better and better because especially in the early stages, every month is way better than the last month. The next month is going to be way better than this one. Um, And so the process, um, I I think that's what I would really tell to other first-time founders. It is a process. Stay in it. Don't give up because it, it, if you just, if you keep improving, can you imagine how much better you're going to be with every passing month? Well, when I first became a professional speaker, I read an article in Speaker Magazine, which, by the way, is actually a thing. Uh, I read an article in Speaker Magazine, and it was uh, an interview of a woman named Roxanne Emmerich, and she is a legend in the speaking business. She ended up, she was a speaker. She ended up forming a training business that does financial services company training, uh, very successful. And she said, and this is like 15 years ago, I read the article. She said, you're never going to be a great presenter until you've done 300 professional level speeches. And she goes, I don't care who you are, how good you think you are. It just, it's like the 10,000 hour rule. You just have to put in the reps and keep going. Well, three years ago, I started doing stand up comedy and I would go to open mic nights. In fact, I, I went to an open mic night, uh, uh, not on the trip to San Diego where you were there because uh, the comedy clubs were still closed. But uh, in San Diego, when I would go there for business, one of my favorite comedy clubs for open mic nights is is in the, the gas lamp district. And so I would always go to San Diego and do open mic nights. And I did open mic nights in Seattle and Atlanta and New York, and then also in Austin where I live. And I just reached the, the pandemic slowed me down and I, I didn't get to uh, 100 in two years, which was what my goal was. But I've now done, I started up again, I've done 100 now. And I realized that that 300 number is still before I'm ever going to be good at stand-up. I got to get to that number. So I've now done over a thousand podcasts between all the different ones I host. Uh, I've done over a thousand professional speeches, but I've only done a hundred nights of like three or four minute sets. So I'm not that good at the comedy. It is a learned skill to be able to do any of this. So I would imagine raising money. It's the same thing. You're just going to have to make pitch after pitch after pitch to get good at it. I think that's true. Well, first of all, if you're ever doing an open mic night in Seattle, please let me know and I will be there. I want to hear that. Awesome. 
<laughs> Second, I had heard that for pitching is that it's, it's the same thing is that it gets, you need to get to a hundred before really your pitching gets any good. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of a relief to me because I thought, all right, so my first 20 didn't go well. That just means that I have 80 more to go and then I'm going to be amazing. <laughs> and so it was nice to have a countdown in my head. It didn't have to, it didn't go all the, well, a few, a few landed before a hundred and a whole bunch more landed after a hundred. Yep. So, but it was, but it's just, it's a relief to know that if, if you just put it, if you put in the reps, it ends up working out fine. So what do you love about the life of being an entrepreneur? I love creating something out of nothing. So, and seeing a problem that needs to be solved and knowing that I am going to do what it takes to solve that problem. I, I, don't, I, I don't think there's any other job in the world in which you can just create and solve. Maybe there is, but I, I, don't, it's, I don't know what it is, but I love that. It's probably not being a, a regular lawyer or being a diplomat. Probably not. So what advice then do you have for somebody who has that hankering to start their own thing, to become their own CEO and grow their own company? What do you tell them? So I would say start with falling in love with solving the problem. Because so if if you're doing it because you're you're in love with with um, making money or with getting recognition, that might or might not work. I don't know. But I do know that if you are focused on solving the problem, you're going to keep working until you figure out something that works. And by doing that, you have a company that works. I love that. I think that's, I think that is phenomenal advice. So I've got more questions for you, but first I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are shaking things up and making waves like Pradnya Desh. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, Jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So you are really not just kinda, you are really making waves in an industry. You're shaking things up by what you're creating. So number one, what's that like? And number two, how are lawyers who bill by the hour thinking about Advocat? <laughs> I'm going to answer the second question because it answers the what's that like. So when I started out, I found that I started out by interviewing as many lawyers as I could because I wanted to make sure I was solving the right problem and solving the problem that isn't just a problem that I noticed, but a problem that actually exists. Um, So I started out by interviewing lawyers and I found really quickly um, that a lot of the lawyers that I knew and who are my friends were angry with me. (laughs) That would have been that would have been my guess, because not only did I work five years inside big law, I have probably done business development coaching uh, and career coaching for probably 150 lawyers over the years. I still do that type of work one on one for people on the partner track, etc. And my my imagination would be uh, I become half obsolete if you do this. 
So that's that is true. Well, I w- I don't agree that that's true, but I absolutely agree that is exactly what many of my friends um, who are lawyers thought um, and expressed to me <laughs> right away at the beginning of the interviews um, that I conducted or. Um, emails or passing them um, or taking up an elevator with them. There, I have so so many instances in which um, my my friends who I on my end they're still my friends, but they're angry with me. <laughs> they're they, angry. With they me. can go have wine, but they're not cheering for you. Exactly. But so that that is true. But that being said, is that making an industry more efficient? is better for everybody. Trust me, friends. Trust me, lawyers. It's better for everybody because what lawyers um, should be doing are is strategic work. So work that use, engages their brains to um, do well for their clients, to make the world a better place, to solve big problems. And, I, and the lawyers that I know, that is really what they want to do. Um, and when they have time, that is what they do. But we spend a whole lot of time as lawyers um, doing repetitive row work or finding the right form or editing the right form or figuring out where that file went because it's not quite in the place on the shared drive that it should have been. And how do I find the information that I need to find? It should be in the database, but it's not. Maybe I'll email or call somebody. Um, and so it's very busy. It's uh, Lawyers are overloaded with work, but a lot of that work is not the work that needs a lawyer's brain. It's just automation that can, can help. And that's also the problem that I'm solving because as a lawyer, um, as an impatient lawyer, um, I would get frustrated when things weren't where I needed them to be because I just wanted to go to move on to do great work for my clients and do strategic work. So yes, that experience has been educational for me, but also um, it's been for the lawyers that get it. It's been amazing in the yes, I don't want I don't want to be spending time just finding a document. I, I wanna I wanna do great work. And so what we found actually in when you launch a company is that you need to focus on a particular market. You can't do everything. Um, and in doing that, we found that we needed to focus on the lawyers that are excited, and those are in-house lawyers, um, the lawyers that already work for companies that say, wait, so I get to be done at five rather than at eight. Yeah, awesome. they're, they're on salary, not not billable quotas. So all of a sudden it makes a lot of sense as that's a great place to start. Although I will be honest, I've talked to a lot of lawyers in sort of traditional law firms who have talked about, wouldn't it be great if we had a way to do basically what you said? So I think they'll come along once once you've once you've proven once you've proven concept, I think big law will follow. I think that's true. So what's the future? You've closed your funding round. You've got the money that you need for at least this round. What's what's the future of Advocat? It's well, we have a lot to do, <laughs> especially in the next 18 months. We have so much to do and we're working as fast as we can and as hard as we can. So we just launched a product. We are iterating on that as quickly as we can, getting customer feedback, making the product better, seeing what else they have that are that's closely related to the problems that we're solving. So very closely related just to see if we can make um, their jobs better, their lives better, and make the legal process go faster. So hiring engineers, uh, that's something that since the conference, we've spent uh, a lot of time doing. So um, hiring engineers, and I'm reminded that in the hiring process, um, so you, you might think, or some might think that the most important thing are hiring for skills, but I started a company before is that I know that this is the stage that is that the most important thing to do actually is to build the culture 
you want to build. And so I've been very mindful of that and having, so um, people in our company who are, we're all trying to move really fast, but we need to move fast while building something that is great. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think a cultural fit is equally, if not more important to making sure the skills, because if someone's good, if someone's smart, if they have talent, you can teach them the skills, you can bring them up to speed, but uh, you can't teach somebody, you know, uh, uh, to, to fit into the no jerk rule or whatever your culture is all about. So true. And actually, I'm glad you, you asked what my culture was all about. You sort of asked, so you can how, tell. How about this? <laughs> What's your culture all about? Yeah, so I actually spent some time defining it. And I wrote it very succinctly just this morning, and I would love to share that with you. Please let us let us know here first on Making Waves at Sea Level. Sounds great. So this this is our statement. We inspire each other by doing amazing work, recognizing excellence, solving hard problems, and helping each other and communities. We give each other honest feedback. And our work is important because it makes the world fairer and makes the legal system work better. So I'm that very first sentence, I'm going to put it up on a wall somewhere at our office because <laughs> I just want to remind everybody that that's what we're all about. And, and I think if you're able to live up to all those things, which my money's on you, I believe you will. If you're able to live up to everything in that, you not only create a great company and you not only give your investors, you know, an ROI. But and you not only change the legal industry, but you help people like those two sergeants from the army who lost their business because they couldn't afford to do the legal work that they should have done up front. That will be an amazing story when we look back on Advocat two, three, five years from now. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here. If somebody wants to find out more about you or they need to know about Advocat, how do they find you? Well, our website is advocate.ai. And I would love for them to email me at pradnya at advocate.ai. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. I am so grateful to the San Diego Angel Conference for introducing me to so many amazing entrepreneurs, yourself included in that. So thank you for being here on the podcast. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. And thanks to everybody who listened. I say it every show, if it wasn't for the audience, why would I do this? I do this because it's a wonderful education for me, but it's also a great way to share with everybody else. So if you like the show, go out and tell your friends. The only way people find a podcast, because there are over 2 million podcasts that have been started and about 800,000 of them still have an occasional episode. So there's a lot of new content out there. The only way people would ever find me is if you tell them. So if you like the show, if you liked Pradnya, tell somebody to listen to this episode. Hey, and you can go leave one of those five-star reviews on Apple or Stitcher or Spotify. Those are nice, too. Feeds my ego. But more important, go tell all your friends. We're going to be back in a couple days, every Tuesday and Thursday, with interviews with people just as cool as Pradnya Desh. And you're like, what? How will you ever find anybody that cool? I do it twice a week. Uh, but in the meantime, go on out there, make some waves of your own in business, and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.